You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So as I've been thinking about how to sort of share this extraordinary uh, Easter story, this story of resurrection, it's a different year. This is not like any other Easter. I mean, I'm talking to you through a camera. Uh, the church isn't uh, gathered in a room. Uh, we don't get to see each other. Uh, the social distancing. Uh, frankly, there's just there's just. I know we may not want to talk about it, but there's but there's sickness and sadness and death all around us. And I just can't help but think about how I, I look around and I see a world of contradiction. I mean, while one person experiences great joy, another mourns great loss. While one person is overcome with laughter, another is overcome with fear. While one person is filled with peace, another is filled with anger. While one person recovers from the virus, another doesn't. The contradictions are real, maybe now more than ever. And, and we've, we've even been told uh, for days that on Easter Sunday, our nation would reach its peak for the virus. We were told this week, uh, or maybe even last week, that, that this week could result in a loss of life as great as 9-11. The Surgeon General said that this would be our Pearl Harbor. And we know that in New York, the death toll did exceed 9-11. We're told that on Easter Sunday, we'll run the reach, of the, we'll run out of uh, the medical resources, and the bed shortages will be painfully evident, and many neighbors will be without a place to heal, without a place to literally breathe. The tyranny of the reign of sin and death is intersecting the most holy week of the Christian calendar, in our country at least. And that reminds us to the depths of our being of the contradictions that we see. We grieve the global and national loss while at the same time celebrating eternal victory. We worry over our health while we worship our risen King. We know that throughout this world and our nation, brothers and sisters in Christ are overcome by this virus and the terror it brings while at the same time remembering that Resurrection Day will not be overcome because of the reign of sin and death, the virus and the terror that it brings. We believe that resurrection happened, is happening, and will happen, even as death happened. Our hearts that were dead because of sin have been made alive. Our minds that were held captive to the reign of death has been renewed and liberated. Our lives that were set on the course of spiritual death have been rescued because Christ has risen. And so, yeah, we, we believe that resurrection has happened. We believe that it is happening, and we believe that it will happen even as death continues to happen. And we believe because of Easter that one day when the King returns, death will finally happen no more. The power of sin and death has been overcome by the cross and the fear of death has been overcome by the empty grave. So the grave would not have power over life 
Yet there is still so much sorrow and death. See? Contradiction. This contradiction has led me to think about Thomas. Thomas, when he met Jesus, left everything to follow Jesus. Thomas had been waiting on the king to come, and he believed deeply that the king would come, and he believed, it seems, that Jesus was that king. Thomas finds himself despised by his own people and considered unfaithful to the God of his fathers because he believes that Jesus Christ could be the one we've been waiting for. Matter of fact, for Thomas, faith and religion isn't an activity. <coughs> Excuse me. It is a life. And it makes up his entire Jewish heritage, representing his past, his present, and his future. And then he sees in Jesus the one that his religion has always been pointing to. And following Jesus has cost him everything. And Thomas seems to be okay with that. As a matter of fact, one time in his story, Uh, of the Gospels when Jesus tells his disciples he's going to go to Jerusalem. The disciples are freaking out over this and saying, you might die in Jerusalem. And and then Thomas looks at them and says, well, I mean, but we follow Jesus, so let's let's go die with Jesus. I mean, that's Thomas's faith. And as we know, in Thomas's story, that it doesn't end the way we think it should end. All right? I mean, Thomas has given up everything to follow this Jesus, but Jesus has been nothing less than a troublemaker. His interpretation of the Jewish faith and his ministry is completely disrupted, and not just because of what he would do, but because of the company he would keep. I mean, the Scriptures tell us over and again that Jesus preached in the synagogues and demonstrated the presence of the kingdom of God in Galilean neighborhoods. Jesus taught that God's kingdom doesn't operate like other kingdoms. And that any other news contrary to that would just be fake news. He proclaimed that forgiveness of sins was available to all. He practiced hospitality, extending the welcome of God to all. He made the blind see and the disabled able. He strengthened weakened hands and straightened crooked legs. He touched the untouchable and he welcomed the unwelcomable. He hugged the little children and he held the hurting. That was Jesus, and his influence was so incredible, and his movement seemed so unstoppable. So the powerful political and religious authorities decided they'd put a stop to it. Jesus was threatening their way of life and their influence. People like Thomas and those who followed Jesus were equal to the threat. And as a result of this, Jesus had created a movement that threatened to take away the religious and political authorities' power. And so they wanted to hold on to it. Jesus and the kingdom that he promised, the kingdom that he said he would bring, was starting to get in the way of the kingdom they wanted to build. So they turned to violence. They had him arrested. They stripped him naked. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him. They shamed him. And they nailed him to a cross so that everyone would watch him die. Jesus didn't fight back. He didn't raise a sword. He didn't even raise his voice. He taught everyone to love their enemies, and that is exactly what he did down to his last breath. And on Friday, Jesus was executed as a criminal of the state on a cross. But he couldn't stay dead. See, Sunday was coming, and Jesus would be resurrected by the power of God 
and he was, and that is what we celebrate today. And what we hear in the story is that Jesus appeared first to one of his most devoted female followers, Mary of Magdala. She runs and she tells the disciples that Jesus has risen. Well, she tells all the disciples except for Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there, but he wasn't. But the rest of the disciples that were heard Mary of Magdala tell them that Jesus' promises are true. And then later, we read in the Gospel that, that Jesus comes to His disciples to prove that His promises were true. and that Not even the worst kind of violence, not even death and the devil himself could keep God from keeping His promises. And all the disciples were there except for Thomas. Thomas didn't know Jesus had risen. So wherever Thomas is, we can imagine that his heart is wounded. His life is in ruin. And his faith is lost. It's like Holy Saturday, that in-between tragedy and triumph day, was like Thomas's life now. His whole existence, his whole understanding of the world had become incredibly complicated as one major contradiction in everything he had always believed in this Jesus is now false. Thomas did not. And this is what John tells us in John chapter 20, beginning verse 24. He says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. And Thomas didn't know. Thomas didn't know. Thomas didn't know that Jesus died, not because he had to, but because he chose to. Thomas didn't know that he, like all of us, was going to remain separated from God because of all the times we had gone our own way and played our own small little roles in a world given over to selfishness, fear, and violence. Thomas didn't know. He didn't know that like us and himself, that the time and time and again, we have chosen not to live our lives with God as king and have unknowingly played a part in messing up God's world with our self-centered, rebellious ways. Thomas didn't know. Thomas didn't know that Jesus' cross would become his crown and that his death would become life for all. Thomas didn't know. He didn't know that Jesus really was the one true king. Thomas didn't know that he'd placed his faith in the right one. Because Thomas didn't know that by the death of Jesus, God was defeating the reign of sin and death at work in our own hearts. Thomas didn't know that the death of Jesus shows us God's stubborn refusal to let us condemn ourselves. Thomas didn't know. He didn't know that the cross of Christ would be God's greatest sign to the world that He will not turn away from us in our sin and He will not turn away from us in our suffering. No matter the disease, the abandonment, the loneliness, the anxiety, the depression, the abuse, the agonies of all kinds, God refuses to abandon us. Thomas felt abandoned. Thomas didn't know. He didn't know that in the death of Christ on a cross, God was revealed as the one who was not behind the evil. 
in the world. Thomas didn't know that God does not participate with evil in order to mysteriously bring about some sort of grand scheme too difficult for our finite minds to comprehend. See, what Thomas didn't know is that Jesus reveals God as the one who suffers for us and with us, with the world, in the flesh, in order to overcome the evil and to assure us that evil has no lasting purpose, no lasting power, no lasting future. Thomas didn't know. He didn't know that Jesus on the cross was God's ultimate demonstration of a different kind of power, one that saves the world through self-giving love rather than the power of military might. Thomas didn't know that the cross shows us that God does not reign with a bullying love that seeks to take absolute control over everything, but instead empties himself and becomes vulnerable, making Jesus' death on the cross the kind of power that saves because Jesus has risen. But Thomas didn't know. Sometimes I wonder if I or some of us think more like Thomas. Like we do not know. I've been thinking about how we live in a society where we call evil good and good evil. Where we mistake darkness for light and light for darkness. Where we call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. Where we think war leads to peace and peace to war. And we listen to the voices that tell us that we should love others with caution and restraint. That we should love with self-protecting boundaries and limits. We listen to society as they tell us that we should love only those who we have determined or who have been determined, whether by us or with the world worthy. To help us do all of this, to love with these self-protecting boundaries and limits and to choose those who are worthy and unworthy, society gives us these irreversible categories of labels and classes and races and genders and sexual preferences and other identity markers and they tell us that that is the way it will be. And even the church has bought into this from time to time. And all these categories and labels do is deal out exclusion, anxiety, fear, injustice, and violence. All the things that resurrection has overcome. But no wonder why it could be easier to feel like Tom. Sometimes the wounds, the ruin, the loss, and the tragedy is so, help, so, so heavy. Sometimes the darkness, the pain, and the brokenness, and the death is just so loud. Thankfully, that's not how Thomas' story ends. Listen to the rest in John chapter 20, 26. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them, finally. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. and He said to them, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and touch my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have belief. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. See, when Thomas sees the resurrected Jesus, he sees, then with his own two eyes, how God enters 
into it all. Enters into all the woundedness, the ruin, the loss, the tragedy, the darkness, the pain, the brokenness, and the death. All the things he was feeling. And how God enters into it all in the most despicable and unpredictable way and then overcomes it. Because in the cross, we see that the crucified Jesus is no stranger to suffering and brokenness. Jesus is no stranger to a history filled with those wounded by loss and ruined by tragedy. He is no stranger to the soul lost in its dark nights and smothered by unexpected pain. In all of this, there's this strange paradox, this contradiction in what we see when we look at the cross and then we look through resurrection on that Sunday morning and we see that Christ has been risen. See, because in the resurrection of Christ, we see that it is possible that woundedness can become healing. That it is possible that ruin can become our redemption. That it's possible that our loss can actually become our gain. That it is possible that tragedy can turn to triumph. In the resurrection, we have come to believe that darkness will turn to light. Pain will turn to peace. And brokenness will turn to beauty. And death will open up to resurrection life because the eternity to which we now belong because Christ is risen begins for us right now because as the Scripture says, we have been given the Holy Spirit of God who is the down payment of the life that is and is to come. And we know, just like Thomas now knows, these broken things, woundedness and loss and darkness and tragedy and death, all of these things can be brought to God because Resurrection Sunday happened. And not that it just happened, but that it is happening in the present tense. Because death cannot take away life anymore. Not for good. Because new life has already been given through death. Christ's final breath freed us from the chains of This is what we remember on Easter. This is what we confess. We believe that in the cross we remember that Jesus has liberated us from the reign of sin and death, rescuing us from ourselves, our guilt, our shame, and the things that we wish we could do over. He offers us a kind of healing that is deeper than any healing we think we actually need. And we get that healing as we walk day in and day out with the God who has come to us and who knows us best loves us most. See, in the resurrection, we remember that Jesus has ushered in God's reign of love, his peace and justice. God has made himself near to us. And yeah, in the resurrection, we can see that God is outraged. Outraged by all the things that work against love. Outraged by viruses and disease. Outraged by death. And invites us to join in with him in his life to deal out to the world this redemptive work of love and to join him in making right what has gone wrong as we wait for the fulfillment of God's reign to come come again in its fullness, come to us in its fullness 
at Christ's return. See, beloved, that the reality of Easter is that Jesus' resurrection is God's preview of what's to come. And because he's risen, the future life of God that is to come is available to here and now, to me and you. Jesus is reordering the world. Oh, it's still out of order, but it is being reordered because Jesus is alive making all things new. That is what we're welcoming into. And so we can live in this world of contradiction. We can live in this world of contradiction and not lose ourselves because we know that we cannot lose Christ. And because we cannot lose Christ, we cannot lose our fullest life because Jesus' death and resurrection has promised us And every week we gather, we come together around the table. Every week, the table of the Lord where we remember the bread that is the body of Christ, the cup that is the blood of Christ. And the thing about this table is we don't don't come alone. We never come to this table alone. Like even, Even you, if you're the only person in your room right now, There's two things that I believe that resurrection tells us we should believe, that we should believe, that one, Christ is with you. And two, in the Holy Spirit, so are we. See, walls and floors and roofs and houses and zip codes may separate us, but in this moment at the table with the Holy Spirit of God in us because of resurrection life, we do not celebrate this alone. We celebrate this together as Christ is with all of us. And so, brother and sister, I invite you to receive. Receive the bread that is the body of the crucified one. The body that was not just crucified, but the body that rose. The body that has risen. And take this cup that is the blood of Christ poured out of his side, seep from his hands and his brow, his feet, and receive it because Christ has come. He has lived, he has loved, he has died, and he has arisen. And he is ours, and we are his, and he reigns now, and he is coming. Father God, we thank you for this bread that is the body of Christ our Lord. We thank you for this cup that is the blood. We thank you that death did not have the final word. That he has risen and he reigns. So Father, as we receive this gift of life through his death, we ask that through your spirit you would teach us how to live. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.